Good morning, people of God. This is Shirley Evans, Apostle Shirley Evans, today being the 28th of September, 2020. The time now is 10, 10 a.m. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. What a wonderful Jesus. What a healing Jesus. What a healing Jesus I found in you. What a healing Jesus. He refresh, restore, and make new. What a healing Jesus for such a time as this. Arise on healing wings, son of righteousness. What a healing Jesus. What a healing Jesus I found in you. What a healing Jesus. He refresh, restores, and make new. What a healing Jesus for such a time as this. Arise on healing wings, son of righteousness. You are Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior. Glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed Redeemer, living world, Jesus, name above all names, Beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed Redeemer, living word, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus Jesus, Savior of the world, glory, glory, glory to the Lamb, for you are glorious and to be praised, you the Lamb upon the throne, and unto you we lift our voice and praise, you the Lamb upon the throne. You are the Lamb upon the throne so give me a pure and holy passion give me one magnificent obsession give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow hard after you know and follow hard after you to grow as your disciple in your truth the world is empty pale and cold compared to knowing you my lord 
Lead me on and I will run after you. Lead me on and I will run after you. Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow hard after you. To know and follow hard after you. To grow as your disciple in your truth. The world is empty, pale and cold compared to knowing you, my Lord. Lead me, Lord, and I will run after you. Lead me, Lord, and I will run after you. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, here we come another day to hear from you, Holy Spirit, the teacher. Father, I ask you, Lord God, even as this message goes out to your people, I pray that it will find them in perfect peace and well. And you will give them an insatiable thirst for more of you to knowing you, Jesus. Father, I ask you to continue to walk with them and hold their hand so that they will not fall and they will hold on to you knowing that you are the author and finisher of their faith. And so, Father, this morning I ask you to let me decrease and let you increase in me as you speak to us in the name of Jesus. We bless God for this day. Pray that we have a, a passion for him, a holy passion for him. Of course, we are still in the book of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 8 today, where Jesus performs many miracles. And we're going from Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Um, it's about Jesus heals a man with leprosy. I'm reading from a different version. I'm sure each one of us probably have different versions. But the word of God is truth. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1, 2, verses 3. I'm going to read. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Going to verse 4. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. I read from Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Leprosy, like AIDS, well, it's more than AIDS, some other, some other viruses and um, where they have no cure for. But leprosy like AIDS, today we could say leprosy like this demonic virus, the pandemic. Leprosy like AIDS today, and I would say this virus that is here now, was a terrifying disease because there was no known cure. In Jesus' day, the Greek word for leprosy was used for a variety of similar diseases, and some forms were contagious. If a person contracted a contagious type, a priest declared him a leper and banished him from his home and city. 
The leper was sent to live in a community with other lepers until he either got better or died. Yet when the leper begged Jesus to heal him, Jesus reached out and touched him, even though his skin was covered with the dreaded disease. Reach out and touch. So he was able to touch. The woman said, if I could only touch the hem of his garment. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And all oh, the joys that floods my soul. Something happened and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Jesus reached out and touched him, even though his skin was covered with the dreaded disease. I know something that is really is a dreaded disease, worse than AIDS and worse than the COVID-19. It is called sin. Sin is an incurable disease and we all have it. <clears throat> Only Christ's healing touch can miraculously take away our sins and restore us to real living. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, did you send Jesus to die, to take away our sins, to restore us back to the Father. But first, just like the leper, we must realize our inability to cure ourselves and ask for Christ's saving help. It is available. All you have to do is ask. You don't have to come with no money. You don't have to come with nothing. Come just as you are. You don't have to clean up yourself before you come. You know when you have to go to the queen, you have to be well dressed. Well, when you come to Jesus, just as I am, dirty, sin, go to him. He will clean you up. The law required a healed leper to be examined by the priest. The law required you have to be healed before the priest could examine you. Jesus wanted this man to give his story firsthand to the priest to prove that his leprosy was completely gone so that he could be restored to his community. Thank God for Jesus. What a healing, Jesus, I found in you. What a healing, Jesus, you refresh, restore, and made new. What a healing, Jesus, for such a time as this. Arise on healing wings. Son of righteousness, and he is still healing us today. That story about the leper, there was more than one. But one came back. There was 10 lepers who came to Jesus for their healing. But one came back to say thank you. I believe that one that came back, he got his total deliverance. What a healing Jesus. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to verses 13. Another miracle Jesus performed. A Roman centurion demonstrates faith. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed 
and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take place and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Notice, Jesus did not physically go. He had the power to speak the word and the power and the spirit of the word went to the woman, the servant, and was healed. That's power. He sent his word and healed our disease. He sent his word and healed our disease. That's power. That's the dunamis power that he has placed inside of us. power in the word of God. It, he spoke it and his word did not return void. It accomplished what he sent it forth to do. And Jesus performs more miracles. Matthew chapter 8 verse 14 to verse 17 where Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law and many others. Verse 14 says, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to read this and then we'll go back to verse 5. Verse 14 says, When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, that's power, and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. And so we're going to go back to verse 5, Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. What great faith the centurion had. The centurion could have let many obstacles stand between him and Jesus because it was a man in, a, in authority. So he could have let pride, doubt, money, Language, distance, time, self-sufficiency, power, and race. But he didn't. If he did not let these barriers block his approach to Jesus, we don't need to either. We don't need to have those barriers, pride, doubt, money, language, distance, time, self-sufficiency, power, and race stand between us and Jesus. What keeps you from Christ? Is it pride? Is it shame? Is it doubt? 
is it time you know the scripture says behold now is appointed time behold now is the day of salvation and sometimes people say wait like tomorrow tomorrow wasn't promised to no man verse 8 to 12 says a centurion was a career military officer in the Roman army with control over 100 soldiers. Roman soldiers, all of, all of all the people, were hated by the Jews for their oppression, control, and ridicule. Yet, this man's genuine faith amazed Jesus. This hated Gentile's fate put to shame the stagnant piety of many of the Jewish religious leaders. Jesus told a crowd that many religious Jews who should be in the kingdom would be excluded because of their lack of faith. Entrenched in their religious traditions, they could not accept Christ at his, and his message because they were steeped in their traditions and religions. So they could not accept Christ and his new message. We must be careful not to become so set in our religious habits that we expect God to work only in specified ways. Don't limit God by your mindset and lack of faith. Sometimes we expect God to work in a certain denomination, but the other denomination not so. Uh -uh, don't put God in a box. The East and the West stands for the four corners of the earth. All the faithful people of God will be gathered to the feast with the Messiah. That's what the book of Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 25 verse 6. Isaiah 25 and 6. I'll find that right now. Isaiah 25 and 6 declares, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, that's what he will do. And Isaiah, as I read just now, chapter 25, verse 6, and Isaiah, chapter 25, and verse 55 says, Isaiah, chapter 25, and verse, oh my God, no. Isaiah, chapter 6, I'll leave it there. The Jews should have known that when the Messiah came, his blessings would be for Gentiles too. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 12. Isaiah 66 and verse 12 declares, verse 12 declares, for this is what the Lord says, I will extend peace to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. So it's for the Gentiles as well. Thank you, Lord. But this message came as a shock because they were too, too wrapped. They were wrapped up in their own affairs and destiny in claiming God's promises. In claiming God's promises, we must not apply them so personally that we forget to see what God wants to do to reach all the people he loves. In other words, don't be selfish. 
Matthew emphasizes this universal theme. Jesus's message is for everyone. And the Old Testament prophets knew this. But many New Testament Jewish leaders choose to ignore it. Each individual has to choose to accept or reject the gospel. And no one can become part of God's kingdom on the basis of heritage or connections. It's like, it's like, just say, a household. The father has a relationship with Jesus. Not because the children is connected to the father means that, oh, they are part of the kingdom. No, they have to accept for themselves. Having a Christian family is a wonderful blessing, but it won't guarantee your eternal life. You must believe and follow Christ. Peter, in verse 14, Matthew chapter 8, verse 14, Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He promised He promised, but he opened his mouth all the time. But one thing I would say about Pete, but Peter, God gave him a revelation when God said, Peter answered and said, upon this rock. Peter, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. But Peter's answer when Jesus wanted to know, who do men say that I am? Peter got the revelation straight from the Holy Spirit when he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So Peter, Peter was handpicked. Peter was hearing right then. Peter's mother-in-law gives us a beautiful example to follow. Her response to Jesus' touch was to wait on Jesus and his disciples. You have to wait on Jesus. Her response to Jesus' touch was to wait on Jesus and his disciples. God, has God ever helped you through a dangerous or difficult situation? We can all say many times. If so, we should ask, how can I express my gratitude to him? Because God has promised us all the rewards of his kingdom. We should look for ways to serve him and his followers now. Did you get that? We should look for ways to serve him and his followers now. Matthew continues to show Jesus' kingly nature through a single touch, verse 16 and 17. Through a single touch, Jesus healed. One single touch. When he spoke a single word, evil spirits fled his presence. Recently, I was ministering on the phone. Physically, I wasn't there. But the evil spirit in the spirit realm recognized and identified itself. One single word, the evil spirit fled Jesus's presence. Jesus had authority over all evil powers and all earthly disease. He also has power and authority to conquer sin. Sickness and evil are consequences of living in a fallen world. But in the future, when God removes all sin, there will be no more sickness and death. 
Jesus' healing miracles were a taste of what the whole world will one day experience in God's kingdom. Soon and very soon. Jesus also began to teach about the cost of following him. There's a price to pay. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 to 22 says, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. That's verse 18 to 22 that I read. Following Jesus is not always easy or comfortable. You ask many people who are following him and they will tell you it's not easy and it's not comfortable. Often it means great cost and sacrifice with no earthly rewards or security. Jesus didn't have a place to call home. You may find that following Christ costs you popularity, friendships, leisure time, or treasured habits. But while the cost of following Christ is high, the value of being Christ's disciple is even higher. Discipleship is an investment that lasts for eternity and yields incredible rewards. One day the Holy Spirit opened up, opened this to me when he said he had no place to lay his head. Well, he was, one day he was explaining to me, Paul, Paul was following the law, the letter of the law. And so here he was arranging, causing Christians to be killed. Well, when he had that encounter with God, the Holy Spirit, now his head was the law. And he thought he was doing the right thing. But when he got up, God was able to lay his head a place because if he had a body and he's the head. So here comes he was able to his mind was changed. So instead of Paul, it was the head. He laid his head on Paul. And he was now speaking through Paul and using Paul. So, when he comes and he searches, can he rest his head on you? Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Can he rest his head on you and use you? For two years ago, I had a vision that I stepped off the plane from Canada and uh, the, the newspaper people and Zedness was waiting for me. And uh, I said, why are they waiting for me? And somebody said, oh, because you're in a newspaper and you're supposed to be speaking at a conference. And I said, well, show me me in the newspaper then. And when they showed me the newspaper, from my neck down, I knew my body, but my head was the Lion of Judah. I was like, why did they put a lion head on me? The Holy Spirit said, because when you go to speak, nobody's going to see you. They're going to see me the Godhead. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus. Let your light shine. Let him shine through you so they won't see you, but they'll see him. He will be glorified. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus. So, it is possible that this disciple was not asking permission to go to his father's funeral. It's possible, but rather to put off following Jesus until his elderly father died. Can I say that again? It is possible that this disciple was not asking permission to go to his father's funeral, 
but rather to put off following Jesus until his elderly father died. Perhaps he was the firstborn son and wanted to be sure to claim his inheritance. And Jesus said, follow me. You just walk away from everything to follow him. And he was going to make sure, I guess, I need my inheritance. How could I follow you? I have to wait. Perhaps he didn't want to face his father's wrath if he left the family business to follow an in, in a, 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 a preacher who, do, who do, they don't even know about. Whether his concern was financial security, family approval, or something else, he did not want to commit himself to Jesus just yet. It happens to us. It's not, we're not ready. Um, I have this job. It pays me so much money. How could you say, how could I just walk away to serve you? What is it? What is it? Is there anything in walking away with you? What are you going to give me? How am I going to support my family? And so it's difficult to say yes. He did not want to commit himself to Jesus just yet. So Jesus, God has a way of calling you once. And you're not ready. He has a way of calling you twice. And you give another excuse. He have a way of calling you the third time. And you still give an excuse. I've seen many people. They're not in this world. He took them out of the world. Huh. Because they continue to say no. Well, when they were on the dying bed, it was too late to say yes. Jesus, however, would not accept his excuse. I'm telling you. Jesus was always direct with those who wanted to follow him. He made sure they counted the cost and set aside any conditions they might have for following him. As God's son, Jesus did not hesitate to demand complete loyalty. Complete loyalty. Even family loyalty was not to take priority over the demands of obedience. You remember when, when they said, Jesus, your brethren out here, your mother out here, your father, your sisters and your brother out here to see you. Jesus said, look at his disciples. That was the priority. He says, who's my mother? Who's my father? He looked at them and said, they to do the work of my father. He was steadfast. He was loyal. He was yielded. He was obedience. So family loyalty was not to take priority over the demands of obedience. I remember on my first missionary journey, my second missionary journey, first and second, I had to find someone to be here in my house with my daughter because the demand of God say you have to go. Was that easy? No. But either you're going to yield to your family priority or you're going to yield to God. It calls for, he demands obedience. His direct challenge, his direct challenge forces us to ask ourselves about our own priorities in following him. The decision to follow Jesus should not be put off. Even though other loyalties compete for our attention, nothing should be placed above a total commitment to living for him. Nothing. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, to verse 27, Jesus calms the storm. Many storms in our lives, he will, he will calm it. And it reads, 
Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of man is this? This would have been a fishing boat because many of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. An ancient historian wrote that there were usually more than 300 fishing boats. I believe Josephus wrote that on the Sea of Galilee at one time. This boat was large enough to hold Jesus and his 12 disciples and was powered both by oars and sails. During a storm, however, the sails were taken down to keep them from ripping and to make the boat easier to control. The Sea of Galilee is an unusual body of water. It is relatively small, about 13 miles long and seven miles wide, but it is 100 feet, 150 feet deep. And the shoreline is 680 feet below sea level. Sudden storms can appear over the surrounding mountains with little warning, stirring the water into violent 20-foot waves. Amazing. The disciples had not foolishly set out in a storm. If they knew the storm was coming, they wasn't going in the boat. They probably would say, Jesus, you're going by yourself. We're not going with you. They had been caught without warning and their danger was great. How sometimes suddenly things, storms in life come upon us. We need Jesus in our boat. And when we think he's asleep, we could call on him. He'll speak peace to our storms. Verse 25. Although the disciples had witnessed many miracles, they panicked in the storm. It happens to all of us. I remember I used to stand out I said, Lord, you called me at my job, but now the storm is coming and everybody is putting on their hurricane shutters and I don't have any. What am I going to do? I'm panicking. Mind you, for years he kept me safe with no hurricane shutters. And he would say, I told you I'm going to protect you. And the storm would come and some of the people's hurricanes would blow off. Their houses would be damaged. But I, right here, three shingles fall off. He kept me in the midst of the storm. And as experienced sailors, they knew its danger. They knew the danger of storms. What they did not know was that Christ could control the forces of nature. They're now getting a revelation of this Christ, who they're with. There is often a stormy area of our human nature where we feel God can't or won't work. When we truly understand who God is, however, we will realize that he controls both the storms of nature and the storms of the troubled heart. Jesus' power that calmed this storm can also help us deal with the problems we face. Jesus is very willing willing and able to help if we only ask him. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be open unto you. We should never discount his power even in terrible trials. Now Jesus sends the demons into a herd, into a herd of pigs. 
He's dealing with demons now. Matthew chapter 8, verse 26 to 34 says, Jesus sends the demons into a herd of pigs. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. I could imagine those disciples wanted to run away because they never experienced nothing like this. What kind of man is this? The storm, he stopped that. And now we have to come face demons? I'm sure they were very terrified. They were so violent, those demons were so violent, that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, Son of God, so demons could speak? What do you want with us, Son of God, so demons knew that that was the Son of God? They shouted, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? I told you that when you get fully committed, you accept Jesus, fully committed, you're growing God, you get to a place where the devil know you in hell. He know your name. He know, who you, he know whether Christ in you or Christ not in you. Because in the book of Acts, remember the Spirit say, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? In other words, you ain't have no Jesus in you. <laughs> okay. So they, they can speak, they know. Have you come here to torture us before the point of time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus. <laughs> here, here it is. <laughs> they are so slick. If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. They're bargaining with Jesus. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. They asked to go into the pigs. And that's where Jesus sent them. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. You see, they were slick. But Jesus said, okay, I'm going to send in the pigs. And you demons, you're going to die. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. They were afraid. Matthew chapter 8 verse 28 to 34. Verse 28 says, the region of the Gadarenes is located southeast of the Sea of Galilee, near the town of Gadara, one of the most important cities of the region. Gadara was a member of the Decapolis. These ten cities with independent governments were largely inhabited by Gentiles, which explains the herd of pigs. The Jews did not raise pigs because pigs were considered unclean and thus unfit to eat. Demon-possessed people are under the control of one or more demons. Let me say that again. Demon-possessed people are under the control of one or more demons. Why? One demon ain't, gonna, ain't not going to live alone. He wants some more demons with him. Demons are fallen angels who joined Satan in his rebellion against God and are now evil spirits under Satan's control. They help Satan tempt people to sin and have great destructive powers. When you talk, when people say, oh, uh, devil ain't have no power. Okay, you stay right there. You need to study the word. But whenever they are confronted by Jesus, they lose their power. The blood of Jesus, they will lose their power. Whenever they are confronted by Jesus, they lose their power. These demons recognized Jesus as God's son. But they didn't think they had to obey him. 
Just believing is not enough. James chapter 2, verse 19 says, James James chapter 2, verse 19 says, verse 19 says, You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You hear that? You believe that there is one God. That's very good you believe that. But even the demons believe that and shudder. Faith is more than belief. By faith, you accept what Jesus has done for you. Receive him as the only one who can save you from sin and live out your faith by obeying his commands. Matthew says, there were two demon-possessed men. Well, while, of course, the next version, Mark, and Luke refer only to one. Apparently Mark and Luke mention only the man who did the talking. Meaning that one demon was talking, the other one didn't say nothing. According to Jewish ceremonial laws, the men Jesus encountered were unclean in three ways. Three ways. One way, they were Gentiles. Gentiles means they were not, not Jews. They were demon-possessed and they lived in a graveyard. Jesus helped them anyway. We should not turn our backs on people who are unclean or repulsive to us or who violate our moral standards and religious beliefs. Instead, we must realize that every human individual is a unique creation of God needing to be touched by his love. Love covers a multitude of sin. The Bible tells us that at the end of the world, the devil and his angels will be thrown into the lake of burning fire. It's Revelation 20 and verse 10. When the demons asked if Jesus had come to torment them, before the appointed time, they showed that they knew their ultimate fate. They're very intelligent. <laughs> Don't think Satan is stupid, that's stupid. They're very they intelligent. When the demons entered the pigs, they drove the animals into the sea. The demons' action proves their destructive intent. Remember the scripture that says Satan comes, he cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. If they could not destroy the men, they would destroy the pigs. Jesus' action, by contrast, shows the value he places on each human life. Why did the people ask Jesus to leave? Unlike their own pagan gods, Jesus could not be contained. <laughs> they couldn't contain Jesus. Jesus could not be contained. Jesus could not be controlled or appeased. They feared Jesus' supernatural power, a power that they had never before witnessed. I tell you, very soon, God is about to step out. His supernatural power is going to be on on his remnant, his people that he's called, and you're going to witness it. And they were upset about losing a herd of pigs more than they were glad about the deliverance of the demon-possessed man. Are you more concerned about property and programs than people? Are you more concerned about property, programs, and people than people? Human beings are created in God's image and have eternal value. How foolish and yet how easy it is to value possessions, investments, and even animals above human life. Some people, you better don't touch their dog. 
As a matter of fact, some people leave their inheritance to the dogs and the cats. Oh, yes. And some people, they will nurture their animals. But there's little children, which is a ministry, or poor, poor, poor people, which is a ministry. But they would rather spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars taking care of the animals above human life. Oh my God, help us. Help us, Jesus. How foolish and yet how easy it is to value possessions, investments, and even animals above human life. Would you rather have Jesus leave you than finish his work in you? Would you? So we're going to stop here today. But know that a song just came to me. That there are people who are discouraged. But it just dropped in my spirit to let you know the comforter is still here. And a song just dropped in my spirit. Whoever this is for, I'm sure it's for many of us. Why should I feel discouraged? And why should the shadows fall? Why should my heart be lonely? And hope for heaven's home. If Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eyes on the sparrow and I know he watches me his eyes on the sparrow and I know he watches me I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know. He watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. He watches over you. That is his love. And Father God, we thank you. Help us, Lord, to continue to pursue you. Help us, Lord to follow you, to know you, to follow you, to grow as your disciples did in your truth. Because the world is empty and it's pale and it's cold compared with you, compared with knowing you. Lead me, Lord, and let me run after you. And Father, I ask you, Lord Jesus, those who are discouraged, those who are disheartened. God, I ask you to comfort them because you're the comforter. I ask you to give them peace because you're the Prince of Peace. I ask you to guard their heart today in the name of Jesus. And may the loving Savior infuse you with more love, more grace, and more mercy today and keep you safe 
I love you. Jesus loves you. And the blood covers you today in the name of Jesus. Have a blessed day today.